Shameless Media. Hello and welcome to the Shameless Book Club. Today, we're bringing you an interview with the brilliant Jessie Stevens. You'll likely know Jessie is a podcaster, writer and author of the international bestseller Heartsick. I was lucky enough to chat with Jessie about her latest release, Something Bad is Going to Happen, a book that pulled me straight in within the first few sentences. From what it's like separating this work of fiction from her own personal and family history of depression to who this book was initially intended for, Jessie is so candid and so warm in this conversation and I cannot wait for you guys to hear it. Of course, I was also itching to squeeze in a few questions about Jessie's debut book, Heartsick, which so many of us fell in love with, myself included. There was so much to get through, so let's get straight into it. Here is Jessie. Hello, Jessie. Welcome to the Shameless Book Club. Hello. Thank you so much for having me. I so appreciate it. We are so excited to have you here. And I just wanted to say, firstly, a huge congratulations to you just generally on everything that's been going on in your world recently. You've just released Something Bad is Going to Happen. We will, of course, be chatting about the book throughout this interview. But you've also just gone back to work after mat leave. So a huge congrats on having your beautiful baby, Luna. How are you? I mean, a lot is happening. How are you, firstly? Um, that's a look. It's, it's <laughs> so funny you say that because I'm sitting here talking to you via video. Just to my left, I'll show you. I've been pumping. So this is, I literally have like milk sitting here. I have, I'm dripping onto my pants. Like that seems to really capture the chaos of this period. She's four and a half months and I'm still trying to work out, going back to work, looking after Luna. It's just, I've gone back three days. So my other days, I'm just so excited to hang out with her. It's chaos, but you know, I'm doing my best. (laughs) It's beautiful, beautiful chaos. And like, you've just released this new book. It's obviously so much, but you seem, honestly, you seem radiant. You seem so excited to go. And I'm like, snaps for Jessie. Women do it all. (laughs) Oh, I am just, I think I hated being pregnant so much that when she came out, I was like, I've got my energy back. I just feel like myself. And having the book released when she was eight weeks old, felt like such a gift because I'd done all the hard work before. Like promoting a book is the fun part. Mm -hmm. Um, But I'd done all the hard work and it was like to then watch it go into the world, it was such a beautiful time because a lot of people feel, I guess, some like maybe irrelevance when you step back from the workplace and you don't really know who you are. And it was a really, I, I loved it. I loved having those conversations with people at a time when my world had sort of been turned upside down in the best way possible. So the timing's actually been great. Oh, I'm so glad to hear. (laughs) Of course, we're going to be talking about something bad is going to happen, but I feel like this interview with you would make no sense to me anyway without first touching on your debut book, Heartsick, because I adored that book so much. I cannot tell you how much I adored it. It was such a beautifully raw depiction of love and grieving the loss of it. And I actually read it right after a formative heartbreak of mine, I would say a few years ago. So it feels really sentimental to me, that book. And I wonder if you could speak to what it's like having readers form such intimate bonds with your work. I mean, something bad is going to happen included in this conversation. Has there been a particular interaction with a reader that stuck with you? Oh, the messages I've got, and you know, you can write an article or release a podcast and you will know this as well, where people really relate to what you've said or what you've tried to do. But when you've worked on a project for, you know, more than a year and people engage with you on that level, 
It is so touching. And the stories that I have heard and the connection I feel with people, especially people who read that book in the wake of heartbreak, has been such an honour because I think it's a really brave thing to pick up a book like that when you're going through your own pain. And that's what it was designed for, to try and uh, articulate what can be a really difficult experience, what's trivialised in our culture a lot. And this was an attempt to take heartbreak as seriously as it deserves to be taken, to really respect the grief that people are going through every single day. And so to know that that for some readers I did that, and it's funny with something bad is going to happen, uh, a lot of people have said, you wrote Heartsick just as I was coming out of a breakup and I felt that to be a real balm. Mm-hmm. And then something bad is going to happen. People who have been having a bit of a hard time with their mental health uh, have felt really seen. So it's funny when the Venn diagram applies to both of those people, I, I yeah. suppose. But no, there's there's even some people who I really admire have reached out to me privately and just said, you reminded me of this thing that happened to me at 18 that I thought didn't affect me that much. And that has just been vindicating to know it's not just me who feels yeah. quite um, affected even by things that happened years and years ago. Yeah, well, it's why writing about heartbreak can be so powerful because you're speaking to the people who, I mean, we've all experienced it, but they can tap into something that happened to them years ago. But also, like, I actually, sitting here right now, I'm wondering why people feel compelled to read about sad, heartbreaking stories right after they've been through one. Because that was definitely me. I was seeking that. I did the same, but on Reddit. So I went deep onto, like, Reddit forums because you feel as though you're the only one to have ever felt that and Mm. you think I don't think I'm ever going to get over it you feel as though there's something wrong with you that you've got to kind of recreate yourself from scratch and this sense of solidarity and going hang on if if he or she went through it and they're they're doing okay now or they were as thrown by it then maybe I'm not that broken and I think there's also something in being in the grips of something and not being able to articulate it. And that's what I've seen as something I want to do with my writing is be able to give the words and the language to people. That's what I love about your writing. You manage to articulate really complicated feelings in a really simple way. I hope that didn't come across no, offensive. No, no. <laughs> I spend a lot of time. I am a very slow writer and that's why because that's what I'm trying to do. And it's such a difficult task that I feel I often fail at. But that's what I'm trying to do because that's my favourite thing about writing is to go, oh, my God, I thought that was just me. I thought I only noticed that or I had that shameful thought. But then to discover that other people do, I mean, it's it's incredibly liberating. Um, yeah. And so writing that book was meant to be part of creating a bit of a ritual around what we do at the end of romantic pain like that. Yeah. I would love to hear about how you felt transitioning from the work that you do as a journalist to writing your first book in Heartsick, or even if there's a link between writing up the real stories of people as part of your job and then choosing yeah. to write your debut novel as a work of nonfiction? Like, yeah. did it make it feel less daunting maybe? Yeah. That's exactly yeah. what it was. The transition felt natural and mm-hmm. like, maybe I'm allowed to do this. Like writing a book feels like a really big leap. It feels embarrassing and kind of, uh, I don't know, like, Like everyone's going to laugh at you for even trying it Mm. because who gave me the right? But 
because I do do that as part of work and that was something I loved doing was speaking to people and creating narrative. It's one thing to do sort of an interview or a transcript, but finding a narrative out of their story, I always loved. So that felt natural. And I also wanted to hone my skills. I felt as though uh, I wanted to become a better writer. And so taking a massive risk was something I, yeah, really wanted to do. And so I think that was definitely it. Um, And so when I pitched it even, it was like, I think I might be able to do this. And then breaking it down into three stories of real people, but to write it in the style of fiction. Yeah. um, Because I know that when I read, it's like I... Uh, we have so many things competing for our attention. If you don't write a page turner that grips you immediately, no one's going to come with you. So mm-hmm. I wanted to write those three stories and just create plot and character and all of those things um, and keep people enthralled. You writing it like fiction was honestly magical. If anything as well, it seems to me like if I was putting myself in your shoes, it seems like it would be more pressure because you're writing it as fiction and having that kind of storytelling happening. Yeah. But then at the same time, you've got three real people who will likely be reading your work. What was that like? Especially as well, because there were three really different people with quite different backgrounds to yourself. Exactly. And so there were a few things I knew I had to do ethically. So I needed to uh, make sure that they all got sign-off on their stories and if there was anything that made them uncomfortable or I tried to obscure a detail but I said something untruthful, then they were to let me know. That was the really big thing. Having the foundation of their stories made me feel a little bit more confident Yeah, uh, that I had something to work off. I didn't feel like I had the imagination to to kind of and that was the point is that I wanted people to know this was yeah this was true and not have to suspend any belief necessarily and then therefore I think a lot of people sent me their true stories as well and in trying to find those stories I knew what I was looking for which was I didn't want one beat so I was with blah they broke up with me I'm heartbroken I knew what was required for plot and I knew how much I needed So these stories had to be really complex. I didn't want to have someone who was simply a victim or simply someone who blew something up. There needed to be nuances and flaws. So I interviewed a lot of people for that in order to find the three I felt were the strongest. And I knew that those three people, as soon as I put the phone down after talking to them, I'd be like, I have to tell 100 people this story because it is so remarkable. Mm -hmm. Uh, And that was a sign to me that that was a story to write. How do you find writing from the male perspective? Because you did it with Patrick and also with Jake in this book in Something Bad is Going to Happen. Like, is it tricky or does it come kind of naturally? No. And, you know, I was listening to Dolly Alderton um, uh, who spoke to Michelle uh, Andrews recently on on Shameless. And um, I really liked what she said about it because I agreed. I don't find it difficult. Our inner monologues, what we find ourselves thinking about I don't think it's that different across gender. I don't think it's as different as we think it is. And I'm really close with my brothers. Some of my best friends are men. I've obviously been having these conversations with them for years. And it was easier than I thought to really occupy that. And with Patrick, you know, I interviewed him so much that I totally got where he was coming from. And it was important for me to have a male perspective in Heartsick because heartbreak is so often seen as something feminine and something that doesn't affect men when it does just as often and they almost have less of a ritual or like they have less people to talk to about it. 
So sometimes it can actually be harder. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Let's properly talk about something that is going to happen now. I wanted to start with your own personal history with mental illness and depression because you've spoken quite candidly before about it. And so I imagine it would play a pivotal role in why you decided to write the book firstly and also probably naturally shape the book in a few ways. So what was that experience like writing a fictional story about something that has touched your life in such a personal way? I wanted to have the freedom to take the story in new directions and not be limited by my own experience. So writing that, I was 31 mostly, 31, 32, and that's young. That's Not enough has happened to me. I didn't want to write a memoir. That wasn't Mm -hmm. what I wanted to do because I wanted to explore themes that went beyond me and my life, for example, in the character of Jake. Mental illness is probably like you look back and you see things that happen in primary school and stuff that... You can probably draw a through line. But uh, I knew growing up that my dad had depression. wasn't always referred to as that, but I knew that he went through periods where he was really sad and inaccessible. And I knew that it, it was almost in our blood. It was my dad. It was his dad. And then when I got into my early 20s, I had a really bad spell. Like I could barely leave the house. I remember hiding under my bed and just thinking, you know, I don't want anyone to see me. I, I don't want to get out. I lost my ability to write and I was finishing off a degree at the time and it was just so much greater than writer's block. I couldn't write a text message or an email. My brain, it was like it just stopped working. And I was medicated at that point, um, which got a lot worse before it got better. And all through my 20s, that was sort of something I struggled with. So Mm. deep, deep depression, despair. And I suppose a lot has been said and written about anxiety in the last decade and depression, not so much. Maybe it's not as sexy. Maybe it's not as interesting. And sometimes men talk about it a little bit more than women do. And I felt as though I had something to contribute. And it's not just me, it's my twin sister and my brothers have all had our depression manifest in different ways. So, and I've been, as I'm sure almost everyone listening has, been touched by suicide Mm -hmm. uh, of a young person. So that was something else I wanted to include. And as a young person as well, I would go to the doctor and be told, you need to see a psychologist, you need to see a psychologist. And I couldn't afford it. It's prohibitively expensive. And what I wasn't hearing in the conversation was the difference between someone who has access to everything and someone who doesn't. Yeah. And how how different that makes your journey. So I wanted to touch on that as well. I'm just thinking about this now, so I don't know whether this is going to come out at all articulate, but I'm (laughs) curious about how you maybe create boundaries between your own personal experience or even like your family's experience Mm. and the work that you end up writing in something bad is going to happen. And maybe I'm thinking about my own experience too. Obviously, I'm not an author and I've never written fiction before either, but I've definitely written about my own family history of mental illness before and I'm always considering how my family will read it and interpret it. So how was that for you? It's... Definitely not simple and I haven't done it perfectly. I know I haven't done it perfectly. It has uh, started a lot of conversations in my family where I have probably overstepped. Okay. And I think one one point I wanted to make 
was that what I'm seeing is that the approach from men and women who might be experiencing the same thing is different. And I've gone down the kind of therapy medication route and some men in my life have gone down a very different route, which I've been incredibly dismissive of, Yeah, which I regret. So I've said before, like, oh, it's all ice baths and exercise and this pain is trying to tell me something. Let me examine this pain. It's cheating to take medication. I think I've misrepresented that a bit and I, some people have probably been hurt by that. So I've been asking a lot more questions. But the, the truth is that it's very porous. Like the boundaries you try and erect, I thought I was creating a bit of a boundary by even doing it as fiction. Mm-hmm. But it was very distracting for people who I know very well to read the book because it was going from, oh, I recognise that to do I recognise that? To yeah. what is she trying to say? Which was hard because sometimes I, I wasn't necessarily making a statement about something but I can see it might have appeared that it's way. Like, what is she trying to say or is this the way she perceives yes, what I'm exactly. going through? Yeah, Exactly. And is that how she sees me? And it wasn't but I think everyone's, they say that everyone's first novel is sort of autobiographical in a way. Yeah. And you just write and the things that come up that you didn't even know you remembered or that were important to you, the line between fiction and and what would have been memoir is just incredibly blurred. Yeah. And some are completely fictional and picked out of thin air and then other things people will say, oh, who's Sophia or who's blah? And I'm like, no, she's invented. She's imagined. <laughs> like, I promise. I really loved Jesse Howell honest and incisive and often relatable Adela's internal monologue was and it felt so real reading her life through her eyes and the whole time I was reading it I was thinking about and I'm sure a lot of readers were thinking about how important this book is there are so many kinds of people who would benefit from reading a book like this and from reading these perspectives and as an author I'm sure you want all kinds of people purchasing and reading the book <laughs> but who was this book initially intended for like was it the friends and family of someone experiencing depression or was it the people in the thick of it themselves or even just people who maybe are completely detached from knowing or yeah, personally understanding it That's such a good question because I think you you know when you're writing a book who it's for and who your imagined reader is mm-hmm. and to be honest it was for the person in it it was okay. for the person who is in the depths of a depression or who is asking, is this as good as it gets? Is this where my happiness is capped? And is there any hope of uh, recovery? And it's funny because I think that Heartsick was the same. I'm writing it for who I was 10 years ago. I'm, I'm writing the book I wished was on the shelf And I was very inspired by The Bell Jar and I know that for a lot of women that's something that put words around an experience they all had and there were analogies in that that just stand the test of time that people go, oh, wow, that's exactly how I feel. So it was definitely when it began, it was for the Adelas. If you are a woman in your 20s, you're a young woman, who feels like there is something wrong with you and you feel as though you are going mad and you don't know if it's you or actually the world is kind of sending you a bit mad, that's who it was for. But as I started writing, I started seeing these other perspectives because I've also been the person living alongside someone with crippling depression 
And I know the feeling of wanting to yell at them Mm. and say, get it together. Do you have any idea what you're doing to people around you? Smile, fake it. We're all doing our best. You're drowning and you are pulling me down with you. Mm. And I feel like I have license to say that because I've also been the one doing the drowning. So it was for that as well. And then the Jake character, I suppose, was an attempt to look at a male perspective and also people who feel really lost, who are just finding this period in their lives to be, I hated it. I hated being, especially early 20s, just an awful period. (laughs) Yeah. Honestly, I was like, I feel seen. (laughs) It's really, really hard and everyone's like, oh, my God, you're at uni. This is, you have so much freedom. You must be having so much fun. You have so much opportunity. And it's like, uh, if this is as good as things get, then shit. Like, yeah, and it's like, but you also have to make really important decisions about your life yep. and it's just like, okay, stop. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> Jesse, you touched on this before and you've said in interviews before as well that unpacking class and social divide in your work is quite important to you mm-hmm. and you do that brilliantly and something bad is going to happen. Could you speak a bit to that motivation you have to shine a light on class? So I found... I had these moments in my 20s. I feel as though when you're at school, you're in this cocoon, um, especially in early high school, of feeling like whatever you see every day is normal. Mm. And then, to be honest, it happened towards the end of high school where I was just at my school living my life. And then we started kind of socialising with private school boys. We'd go to a party and I'd go, hang on, there's a tennis court. Like, (laughs) this isn't normal the houses that we would see and I'd start to go, oh, this isn't how I've grown up. And I remember jokes being made about, you know, I'd have someone that I was sort of seeing come over and it would be like, do you even get mobile phone reception here? And even jokes about the school I went to or whatever. And I started feeling that. And then you're kind of told you can go to university and we live in like, it's so democratic, Australia, there's no class system. You can be whatever you want to be. And I was like, no, you can't. This is this guy has 10 connections to this law firm. He's been told since before he could talk that he could be a lawyer. We're all picturing a certain kind of guy right yes, now. <laughs> exactly. And like, I don't have the, the same opportunities. Mm. And I've never met anyone or I've never been to an office. Like my parents were, were teachers and you know, I don't want to misrepresent it and say, like, we grew up absolutely having everything we needed but we weren't rich and there's a blindness that I think people and especially it's a very specific to Sydney although I'm sure that there's a Melbourne equivalent of like this eastern suburbs hub and once you have a look at it you're like oh my god people live like this and there's this question of do I want to join them or is that a cop-out because then what happened was after school I went and worked at a school in Western Sydney which had a lot of kids that were refugees or had immigrated to Australia, English second language. It was in a low socioeconomic suburb and I was looking at these kids just going, are we really pretending as though Sydney doesn't have a class system, as though it's not impacting on every single minute of every single day? Like Mm. it is. The access that they have, the shit these people have been through, and I don't see it reflected enough in our literature. So I was very motivated to present that and show how class and how much money is in your bank account 
literally is affecting every minute of your life because it is. And if that number is higher, it makes it just easier for you to turn a blind eye. Yeah. Yeah, exactly right. I wanted to know who in your life reads your very first draft of your book or the first draft that you're willing to show people? Like, do you have a go-to person? Is it Claire, your sister? (sighs) Look, I tried to get her to read it and she, she would read bits, but she's been really honest with me and she's like, it's not pleasant to read little bits of someone's book. Like, there's only so much she can give me. Mm. To be completely honest, I don't really have anyone read it until it's finished. So even Claire, she hadn't, until it was that advanced copy, Claire had not read it beginning to end. I had certain chapters that I ran by her, but what I needed her for was more like ideas because I'd get to a point and go, this could happen or this could happen or this could happen is this too much? And I would sort of talk it through with her. Yeah. But it's almost like a magic trick. It's like, you've got to try and pull it off. And then at the end be like, did I? As a whole. As a whole. Mm. If you're showing someone your magic trick as you go, they're kind of like, this is unsatisfying. And I really can't see the whole picture. So that's been really hard, actually, how private it is. Yeah. And then my whole family is like, what's Jesse been doing for 18 months and it's like eh. <laughs> and also does anyone in your life give you like kind of annoying advice after the fact like after it's been published they're like oh this sentence I don't yep. get it <laughs> my dad says and this is this has gone around our family my dad read the whole thing and like I have written this like with my whole heart like for my dad who's like struggle with depression and maybe I've learned something about happiness and blah 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 and he reads it and he's like now you do know there's a typo on page 90 and I was like <laughs> seriously dad maybe this is why I had to write a book (laughs) (laughs) dad read the room (laughs) I'm sure you get asked for writing advice sometimes and I know advice about process and inspiration isn't always the easiest to give because it might not be so clear-cut in your own experience but I did want to ask about the advice you give to aspiring writers who may feel like they're not totally equipped with the necessary skills yet or like what motivated you to just start writing in the early days It is my favourite question because I could talk about (laughs) writing and the process and how hard it is every day. That's what I love. Like even in, I love listening to interviews with authors because I'm just like, how did you do it? It's such an enigma that you started it and then you finished it. Like, didn't you hate every word you wrote? And it's like, yeah, I hated (laughs) every word I wrote the entire time. I read this quote. It was like, you don't need to believe you can write a book to write a book. You just need to sit down and write a certain amount of words and it will get done. Like don't think you've got to be like so sure of yourself and so taken by your own idea that you feel motivated every day because Mm. you don't and most days you sit down, you hate what you wrote yesterday but the only thing that makes it happen, it's all self-discipline of which I've really struggled with. Like I'm not someone who's good with that but I think I was really determined. Like I had something to say at the beginning and then, you know, tried to do a a bit of a structure and where I'd go. And, in fact, you lose the most momentum around the middle. Everyone says this. It's like you can write a really exciting intro Mm. and then you get to the messy middle and you're like, oh, why don't I just abandon this project? (laughs) And that's what you feel like doing. But if you sort of know where you're going, you can write yourself 
out of it. I started watching the Beatles documentary recently. It's too long. But um, <laughs> bit of constructive feedback. A little too long. <laughs> yeah, too long. It just should have been half the length. But they're like jamming and you can hear them going, oh, it's sort of like this, kind of this, and it's all stream of consciousness. And I was like, that's sort of what it's like. You sit down and you do a bunch of stream of consciousness and you get it out. You have no idea what's sitting subconsciously in your brain until you sit there and do it. And then you comb it and you edit it and it gets better. And a book is just whatever you could do in the allotted time. Yeah. If you if you give yourself six months, you'll write a book in six months. If you give yourself eight years, it'll take you eight years. I feel as though you've kind of got to make peace with that and then like the submitting, you go, yeah, I probably could have made this better, but this is the time that yeah. I had. People expect you even holding the book to feel really proud, but it's like there are so many flaws I can see in it. You just have to trust that the initial idea has legs and can carry itself. And I have no formal training in creative writing. I did an arts degree and like a research master's thing. And I felt so out of my depth. I did like a quick six-week creative writing course. But basically what it said was set a timer, write. The answer is words on a page. That's it. So did you have to kind of restructure your relationship with how critical you are of your work. I don't know how you how you feel about your work, but yeah, I tend to be quite critical of my yes, words. There was definitely that because you could write the first chapter over and over again for eight years if yeah. you want. And at some point you actually stop making it better. It it kind of needs to just exist as it is. And I think in that way it's about trusting your voice. Like I'm reading um Demon Copperhead at the oh, moment. Oh yes, I've heard of it, yeah. Oh my God, it's so good. And you go... It's not fancy language. You just have to know that your voice is distinct and different. And the second I tried to stop writing like other people, I felt quite liberated. Yeah. Because that's what I love is the freshness of a different voice. And also read shit books because I read enough shit books to go, you know what, I don't have heaps of confidence in my book, but it's better than that piece of shit. (laughs) (laughs) I think there should be like a shit books group chat where people are like, you can do it look at this. <laughs> and that that actually is pretty helpful. <laughs> oh, that's so funny. Jesse. people are going to be, I'm, I'm sure some authors get annoyed getting asked the question like, what's on for the future? But people are going to want to know. And I'm sure you are. Actually, no, I'm going to first ask this. Do you feel an element of, because you're so busy, it's been a huge year for you. Mm. You just had a baby. You've just released this book. Is there a part of you that's like, oh, I can't be bothered thinking about another book right now? Oh my God. The largest part. Um, Because people always read it and they go, can't wait to see what you're doing next. And I'm like, oh, my God, I just did it. Can't wait to celebrate this. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I wrote the book and it it took so much out of me. And I'm, same with Heartsick, so burnt out by the time I finished it because I've been doing it between sort of full-time work and bits and pieces and the editing process and it's so, so much. I'm missing writing, I think. Yeah. And it's funny, whenever I, like, start, I feel like the quality of my writing is has suffered and it's not till I really get into it that I go, okay, I'm back. I kind of know what I'm doing and that's only through practice. But I have absolutely no ideas for the future. And isn't that liberating? Isn't that a liberating feeling? (laughs) I have no book to write. The feeling of going to bed at night, head on the pillow, and I'm like, I have nothing I should have written today. It's all about the input. I'm like, Mm. everything I read... It's just inspo that I'm like, something will hit me and I'll know. Definitely fiction. I loved the process of writing fiction. 
and there are so many stories to tell. But I'm also very interested in screenwriting. So there's a few kind of projects in the works. And scripting is fun because it's all dialogue, like for a writer. I'm not going to say it's easy. It's not easy, but but it's fun. There's a pace to it because mm. it's it's chatty. Which I, I was going like. to say, I love the way you write dialogue. It's so real. Like it feels oh. so real. So screenwriting is right up your alley, Jesse. Oh, it's really yeah. Because you kind of go, you write something down, and you go, no, that's not how people talk. That's not yeah. the word you'd use. And I always notice it in books where I go, no, nah, that's not right. That's too yeah. formal or that's too... And you've too taken me out of the plot now. Yeah. yeah. Screenwriting is, I'm finding very fun. That's awesome. Jesse. we conclude every author interview on the Shameless Book Club with a quick fire round of questions. But honestly, you can take your time with these because like I'm not timing you. So okay. <laughs> be as quick or slow as you want. <laughs> okay, I'll dive right in. What? Oh no, you've already answered this. You're currently reading Demon Copperhead. Yes, I am. And I've also got on my desk, I just stole it from someone else's desk, is um Dolly Alderton's new book. I might, have you read it yet? I'm halfway through. I need to finish it. Everyone's saying it's like the best book ever. So I oh, need to finish it. I'm so excited. Okay. My next question is roughly how many books do you read every year? <gasps> okay. I read at least one book a week. That's a lot. I read a lot. I read every night before bed and it is my pastime activity. Like I would much rather read than watch a show probably and it's like my wind down. Maternity leave, I just, oh, I did so much reading. It's great to do while you're breastfeeding because you just got the Kindle out. Fabulous. Multitasking, we love. What (laughs) book would you recommend to a friend going through a hard time? You know what? When you're going through a hard time, I always think escapism is it. Mm. And a lot of people ask me, I'm not a reader or I don't read a lot. Don't waste my time. What do I read? I would say Sally Hepworth, a Jane Harper, a Leanne Moriarty. I would say Sally Hepworth's new one, Darling Girls. Yes. That. Because it will take you out of your life and just transport you somewhere else and you will love it. It's pure escapism. Totally. It's a distraction for sure. Yes. And my last quick fire question is, what book do you think deserves more hype? I love reading Australian fiction. Mm -hmm. It is my favourite. I just think Australian fiction has never been better. And I read a book called Love Objects by Emily McGuire. It did receive some hype, but I'm like, it should have been more hyped because speaking of the class thing, Mm. I was very inspired by the way she wrote about that. It was so good. I remember reading it and being like, why is this not at the top of every list? Have you read Yellowface? You've done an episode on Yellowface, Yes, right? I have read Yellowface, yes. You know how that's all about the um, book industry and uh-huh. almost how self-serving it is in terms of we'll choose this as a bestseller and then it becomes that. There are just so many good – this is why I love going into a bookshop and browsing because it's not necessarily that the book at the front is the best one. Like you'll find something mm. by a debut author – that is hidden on a shelf that is just the most stunning book. There's another one actually called Under the Influence by Jacqueline Lunn. She worked at Mum Mary and she was an author and her books were really, really well reviewed and I read Under the Influence and it is one of the best Australian books I have ever read. So Under the Influence by Jacqueline Lunn, outstanding. I also love Australian books because it's also nice when places that you recognise pop up and you're like, oh my God, I've been there. Exactly right. I find that really fun in the way that dialogue and culture, it's just so insightful. So I will always pick up an Aussie book. A 
I mean, I'm sure people will feel that way about your books too, Jess. <laughs> that brings us to the end of today's interview. Thank you so much for chatting with me, Jessie. Thank you. And thank you for interviewing authors. Like it can be really hard writing a fiction book and trying to get it out there. Uh, yeah. And I just love readers. Readers are the best type of people. So, Well, <laughs> we you. love you. And also on the flip side, I've heard you say in interviews before that when you used to interview authors on podcasts, it would be like a fun little way for you to find out tips and all of that. And, and that's kind of been like it for me. I'm not writing, but I would love to write a book one day. So it's so nice talking to authors. Oh, it's a total personal passion project. Like I hope you are using this to just be like, no, I just want to know how to write a book and I'm just going to ask people questions. That was me. Um, with a book club series I did and it helped so much. I just, I was just personally mentored by like. (laughs) No, and that's what you've done for me just now. So thank you so much, Jessie. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of The Shameless Book Club. I seriously encourage you guys to grab yourself a copy of Jessie's newest book, Something Bad is Going to Happen. I will, of course, leave a link to do that in the show notes. You can follow us on socials by searching for The Shameless Book Club on Instagram and on TikTok. And we will be back in your ears on the 1st of December for another review episode on the book everybody is talking about right now. I mean, Jesse even brought it up in this interview. It is Good Material by Dolly Alderton. Alrighty, we'll see you guys next time. Bye. This podcast was recorded on Wurundjeri land. Always was, always will be Aboriginal land.